Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing today? Well, we thank you so much for joining us this morning. And um, as we continue our look into the book of Ephesians, we are going to be looking at verse 1-2 in Ephesians. And we'll be discussing God's grace and his peace this morning. And, um, and it's a great discussion topic because... We do see a lack of peace in the world in general. We do see a world in turmoil and a world that's struggling with hatred and anger and things of that nature. And so it's important to know how to be in peace and at peace with God. So before we continue too much further, let's pray. God Almighty, we praise you. You alone are worthy of praise. You alone are worthy of the glory. And we thank you so much for allowing us to come into your presence and to hear your word and to be convicted by your spirit. So, Lord, we come and uh, we open our hearts to you. Um, Lord, we know that the world is desperate for peace and we want to walk in that peace and be um, in a good relationship with you, not only obeying your will, but um, doing things that are pleasing to you as well. And so, Lord, this morning we've come to search the scriptures to open our hearts to see what you have to say about your grace and peace. And so, Lord, we lift up the church, and uh, we thank you so much for your goodness, your salvation, in your Son, Jesus. Amen. So this morning, as we read Ephesians 1-2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1-2, a very simple scriptural statement, but yet it packs a huge amount of information for us. And so this morning we're going to be looking at number one, God's grace, and number two, God's peace. But before we continue and break these two components down, I want us to look at the scripture in itself. As we can see, the apostle puts grace before peace. The order of things is quite important. In addition, we see that he writes, God our Father, and then the Lord Jesus Christ. The order of things in Scripture is quite important. And oftentimes, if things are put in a different order, that art of... Um, increasing or decreasing importance, then the apostle will bring to light of the things that are listed, which is most important. And what comes to mind is um, in scripture, the apostle writes that out of all these things that uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, faith, love, and hope will remain. But he says of these three things, love is the greatest. In this particular case, he did not put love first, he put love last. But then he emphasizes that love is the greatest. Usually when that's not the case, where there's not a call to attention of what's important, we usually refer to the order of which things come. And so, in this case, we see that grace comes before peace. And so as we look at that, it's important to understand that you cannot receive God's peace until you understand his grace. 
until you understand what God is doing for you, what God is doing in you, and how God works in his universe, in his kingdom, and in his saints, we'll never understand the true nature of God's peace if we don't understand the true nature of God's grace. So God's grace. What is grace? Well, this morning I'm going to tell you that grace is the unmerited favor of God. It's something that we cannot earn. It's something that we do not deserve. It is simply a gift that he gives us by his love, by his very good nature. He gives us grace, this undeserving favor. He blesses his children with something that we can't quite comprehend. If we think about who we are and who he is as a holy God, we can't stand before him and demand things from him. We realize that we fall short, as Romans 3.23 says, we fall short of the glory of God. But yet through his love, through his grace, through this blessing, this unmerited favor, he gives us many gifts. Now, what's really beautiful about the Bible is it doesn't go without explaining things to us. Oftentimes, we love that simple definition of God's grace, unmerited favor. Wow, that's really simple. But what does that mean? If we sit there and we take those two words, unmerited favor by God, and we blow it up, we get First Peter. Okay? And how do we get First Peter? Oftentimes we look at the scriptures and we're like, what is this letter about? What is the apostle writing? Well, let's look at First Peter 5.12. In First Peter 5.12 it says this, By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. So when we read 1 Peter, the contents of this letter that he's writing to the elect exiles, the information contained in this letter, as you summarize it, he says, these are the true graces of God. This is the true grace of God. And then he says, stand firm in it. So as we look at what God's grace really is, we see this unmerited favor. But unmerited favor for what? What do we apply it to? What does it mean for our lives? Well, we know that we're saved not because of works, but because of God's grace. It is a free gift of God. But what does this grace mean for us? What does this grace call us to? Well, we know it is this unmerited favor. But unmerited favor towards what? Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that it is an unmerited favor that we have been granted a second chance. That God is revealing himself to us today as Christians to show his goodness, his loving nature, so that we can see his grace, that we have an opportunity at a second chance 
in life. Because before we knew God, we didn't really know right from wrong. Maybe our parents kind of taught us right from wrong, but we didn't know right from wrong in the sense of the way God knows and teaches right from wrong. Our parents are flawed, much like we are. Even as I teach my own kids, there are things that, hey, I realize that I can improve upon, that I am not the perfect teacher, but I can only share so much based on my experiences. Well, God is that loving Father and that perfect teacher, and it's through His grace that He reveals what it means to have a second chance in life. So let's break down 1 Peter. And in the interest of time, we're going to go a little quick, okay? Because I don't want to spend too much time on this entire book. But I just want to point out what he is saying with regards to grace. The first thing is, is that we've been given a genuine faith in Christ. 1 Peter 1, 6-7 says this, In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness, genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the first thing we see is that we've been given a genuine faith by God. This is a gift. We know that not only is grace a gift, but faith is also a gift. So we have these gifts that are coming towards the saint, towards the child of God. And as we realize the beauty of these gifts, the value of them, and how much they can impact our lives and make our lives better in Christ and save a lot of pain and grieving, and bring, ultimately, this peace that we'll be talking about. That as long as we remain faithful to these gifts and appreciate them, they will continue to abound and grow in us. The next thing that we see is in 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, that we've been called to live a holy life. It says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So in addition to this genuine faith, we're called to practice and apply it to our lives so that we are holy before God. It's important that we realize that God has called his church to be holy. As we grow in his holiness, we will naturally do things by the power of the Spirit that pleases him. As we walk with him, we will see the opportunities that he's presenting before our lives and understand the tests and the trials and how to overcome them so that we can be blessed. The important thing is, as he says here, what is the first two words, actually first three words that he uses in 14? As obedient children. 
We can expect blessing from Him when we practice obedience, when we search after Him and His truth, and we walk with Him by the Spirit in His will. This is being obedient. When we do that, then our conduct will be holy. Next we see, by giving the desire for pure spiritual milk. As the children of God, the third thing, by the grace of God, we've been given this desire inside of us. As every one of us here has the word out before them, we've been given this desire for the word. We're going through the word and we're like, what does God's word say? As the baby desires pure spiritual milk, Christians desire the word of God. And it says here in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Um, I skipped the verse, I believe. In, in verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into the salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So we see God's grace. We see his gifts of faith. We're tasting that the Lord is good. We're seeing this goodness come from God. That there's this higher power that totally wants to give us his love, who wants to care for us and guide us like no one else. He knows that our lives are difficult. He sent his son. His son has walked not only with those who have had diseases, but those who have struggled, those who have needed to overcome. And he says, I have come so that you can have life through in the full. What does that mean? It means that as you go through life and encounter problems, he's going to help you overcome those problems. One of the things that God revealed to me this morning was Romans 8.28, and it says, God works for the good of in all things for those who love him. And I really had to reflect on that. He works in all all things for the good of those who love them. So that means even when something that seems bad happens to our lives, God takes that, transforms it, and turns it into a thing of beauty. The things that God, excuse me, the things that Satan wanted to use to harm us, the things that the world wanted to use to put us down, God uses those very things, those trials, those tribulations, those tests in us as a Christian and reforms them, transforms them, and elevates the Christian. And then God is glorified and we are blessed. It's a beautiful thing. So it says, put away all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, and then Again, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tested, or excuse me, tasted that the Lord is good. Then we move down to verse 9 in chapter 2. And then Peter says, 
that you've been adopted, that you are a chosen race. We've always heard about the Jews in the Old Testament, that they've been chosen by God. Well, last week we learned that we were adopted as his sons into his family. Well, what's his family? This tribe, this nation, this holy race of Israel. We've been adopted into it. We are called Christians. And as Christians, it says, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So these things grow with increasing importance. And um, I want us to just understand that this is what it means to walk in God's grace. That you understand that you've been called to holiness. That you've been called to a higher purpose than just an ordinary person in life. That doesn't disqualify or negate the things that we're doing now. But it enlightens us to understand that our job isn't just a normal job. That God has a higher purpose for everything we do as a Christian. That there is a deeper meaning to life. And not only is it for here and now, but it is forever into eternity. The next thing that God's grace calls us into is that it empowers us to be good citizens. In 2 Peter 13 through 17, it says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil, and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Now keep in mind, he was writing this at about the time of Nero. Nero persecuted Christians. And here is Peter saying, submit to the emperor. This man in power has been placed in power by God. If we want to look into it further, Romans 13 tells us that, that every power, every authority has been put into place by God. And it's by his purposes. And so he says, be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution. In other words, be good citizens. Don't be ones that break the law. Don't be ones who cause disruption in the communities. Don't be one who mocks those in authority, but rather be good citizens and living as, as a living example, as a light for God. The next thing we see as we quickly go through the book of Peter is that we've been empowered to be faithful husbands and wives. I'm not going to read too much of this, but it says, wives, be subject to your own husbands. And then most importantly, to the men, 
I want us to look at verse 7. This is a scripture for you, men. It says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. When we live with our wives in understanding, understanding that they're the weaker vessel, not weaker spiritually, but weaker in a carnal sense. Help them out. Do things for them. You know, help make their lives easier. And as you make their lives easier, they in turn should respect you and see your love. And as this circle goes around, we have respect and love. And what ends up happening is this blessing. He says that if we fail to do that as men, our prayers are hindered. So the things that we ask for for our families, the things that we ask for for ourselves, our children, these things are hindered. What does that mean? They're either blocked or they're slowed down until we get right with our spouses. When we live right with our spouses, God is glorified by us. A godly marriage. Because we are a representation of the union that he brought forth by his power. And so as we live together in harmony, this blessing happens. And what he says is your prayers will not be hindered. The things that you ask for, they'll go through. God will hear them and he'll respond. So as we live in a proper relationship with each other, Wives towards their husbands and husbands towards their wives. God is pleased by this. So that is another opportunity, a second chance for, to live in God's grace in a proper relationship with each other. Now it gets a little bit more difficult. As Christians, we've been called to suffer. As Christ has suffered, we too suffer. He talks about this in a couple places, but it says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And then in 4.12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So he's saying, don't be surprised when things happen to you. In other words, Satan's going to come after you as the child of God. He's going to try and disrupt your peace. He's going to try and disrupt your joy. He's going to try and get you to be separated from God so that you are isolated and you're confused and don't know what to do. So that when life circumstances come up, Satan wants to back you into a corner so that you get scared. God wants you to walk boldly and courageously knowing that he has your back. God is faithful. He will not leave you. So remember that. Do not let that fear set in. And as you pray, things come up in life. Hey, this is difficulty, Lord. 
How do I get through it? God will put scriptures on your head. He will put his word in your heart. And he will give you that support and power that you need to overcome those challenges. Now, lastly, in, in, in 1 Peter 5, before he wraps up, he talks to ministers and the church. And I want to share this with you because as the minister, it is your duty to make sure that I do my job right. I work for God, but I also work for you. The word says that I am a servant of all. What does it say about the ministers? It says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And then it says, likewise, you who are younger subjects, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Anything that you're worried about, cast it on God. Put it on God's shoulders and let his peace rest on you. But do you see what it says about the minister's how we're not supposed to do things for shameful gain. How we're not supposed to be bossy people that just, hey, you got to do this and you got to do this. But by example, by example, we lead. So in other words, I can't sit here and tell you guys to get to church and be with the church on Sunday if every other week I'm gone. I have to be the example. I can't sit here and chastise the church and say, hey, invite people to church if I myself am not doing it. I can't say, hey, be generous to the church or serve the church if I myself am not, am not doing it. So it's very important that I lead by example. But one thing that he does say, too, he says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Not only elder in age, but elders in the church. But there's this authority and this hierarchy. And so what it means is that we don't boss you around, but it says that when we teach you things, listen to the word. Let that speak to you. Go pray about it. And think about the things that we're trying to do for you. And one of the things is, as a minister that can be frustrating is when you're trying to care for people, and I'm sure we've all experienced it as parents, when you're trying to care for somebody and they see it as hate. They see it as you getting on them. And that's so unfair because, well, in a direct way, indirect or whatever, we may be getting on them. But getting on them to do good, getting on them to be closer to God, and we know that these things are beneficial. 
We would never tell a human to stop breathing. But yet in life, people have decided upon, through their own beliefs or whatever, how they were raised, that it's okay to be separated from God. We know from the Word that God is life. If God is life, wouldn't we want to cling to that life? As Christians, we know from John 15 that we can do nothing without Christ. As we come closer to Christ, Christ says, with me, you can do more than impossible. That you'll overcome, that you'll say to this mountain, move, and that mountain will move. What are the mountains in your life right now? Think about them, because those mountains stand before you, and if we let that mountain get too big, it stands before us and God's peace. And that brings me to the next thing, because what I desire more than anything for us as God's children is to know that peace that surpasses all understanding, as Philippians 4, 6 says. That no matter what you're going through, that you have this peace, that everything in God's hands is going to be okay. The things may be difficult. You may not know where finances are going to come from. You may not know the answers to your health issues. You may not know where your next job is going to be. You may not know how your children are going to end up. You have all these questions going on in your head. And they bring anxiety. Satan wants to use those things, those unknowns in our lives, to back us into a corner so that we get scared. God is saying, cast those anxieties on me, and I will bring you peace. I didn't write it down, but let's look at Philippians 4.6. If we ever get to a point where anxiety and worry are setting in, God says, pray. In verse 4 in Philippians 4.4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He is giving you assurance right now that if you pray to him and you cast your anxieties on him, he will give you that peace because you can trust God will give you the things that you need in life to get by. He will give you the things in life to overcome challenges so that you feel his joy and the power of God in your life and experience his victories firsthand. One thing that saints forget is that God wants to show his might, his power and his victories through us. That God displays his love and who he is through us. As our flesh has setbacks, as our life has setbacks, as our relationships have setbacks, God knows the path to overcoming. And as we overcome and we rest in him, 
the entire time, God wants us to know his peace. His peace. How many of us in this room are worry wards? Be honest, we tend to let some things kind of eat at us. That's okay. Other people have the ability to just kind of shrug things off. Other people are like, no, I have a lot of concern for this issue. I know if I don't address it right, it's going to turn into a big problem. There's nothing wrong with having a strong concern for things. Where we get trapped and backed into is we let that concern get bigger and it turns to worry. And we start worrying, what about this? And what about that? And we start thinking about things that most likely will never happen. That's what a worry wart does. And we, we sit there and we're like, well, what about this? And it's not even close to being manifested in our lives. But yet we're worried about it. Do not worry. Show concern for the situation. Pray to God. And leave it at that. Because when we start worrying, well, what about this? And what about that? What it says is, God, I'm not sure that you're going to help me in this. And we can all feel guilty of that. Where this worry comes in, it sets in. And before you know it, it's controlling us. The problem with worry is not only does it control our mindsets and separate us from God. Because remember, God says, do not worry. So if we worry, we're disobeying God. And I realize that when I catch myself worrying about things, that what it's doing is it's separating me from God. And then the peace starts to go away. The anxiety starts going up. All these unknowns. What about the unknowns? What about the unknowns? Trust in God. Trust that he's going to take care of you. You may not know where the answer is going to come from. You just know in your heart of hearts through faith and through trusting that God's going to deliver. And let this faith and trust in God bring you peace. Because remember this. God is not a liar. He said he'll take care of you. He will. He said he'll do things for you. He says he'll lift you up and that you can have his peace and, your, and his joy. It's up to us to live in these promises. And he's, he's not saying, I hope you have grace and peace. He's saying that you have these things in God and the Son. These things are your possession. We have to train ourselves when our mind starts acting up to go, no, I'm not letting my mind go there. And I'm going to trust in God. If you need to, call a friend. Call somebody in the church to talk to. Go pray in your prayer closet. Call Danielle or I. We're here to, to talk. You know, and if you ever feel anxious, call. 
We are here as your brothers and sisters. And the power of God is manifested through the church. If you need something, let us know. If the church can't provide that need for you, we're going to do the next best thing and pray as we look for those needs to be met. The church is family. Just as you call on family for needs, call on your brothers and sisters in Christ for needs. This will bring you peace, knowing that you have a support group around you. And just think of all the things as humans we can use support for. Sometimes we need direction in, in how to apply for things. Sometimes we need instruction on how to fix things. Sometimes we need a little bit of advice. Hey, I heard that you've done this before. How did you do it? Sometimes we don't know what the answer is. But we know that we have people around us who are strong in faith. The best thing that you can do is get yourself with a network of Christians, especially the church, but have a good buddy, a prayer buddy, one or two people that you can call on and say, hey, this is what's going on in my life. I'm trusting in you. Pray. And if somebody calls you to pray, don't be a gossiper. Build that trust. Guard that secret. And lift it up to God. Be somebody who can be counted on and relied upon. Not, hey, I got this problem, and then two seconds later, you're like, hey, did you hear about Billy? He's got this problem. We need to pray for him. And before you know it, we can be using prayer as an excuse to gossip. Oh, will you pray? I heard he's got this problem. Can you believe it? We need to pray. And yes, that's how Satan gets saints. He, he turns this thing that we have internally, that somebody has confided into us, and under the title of prayer, we start gossiping. So we have to be very careful. But remember this, that God wants you to know his peace. That God's peace is manifested in you. Jesus is telling the disciples, look, I'm going to be sending you the Holy Spirit. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And then he says in 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. And he says this, and this is important. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. It's important that we understand this. Because there are going to be times where our hearts do get troubled. And we do get afraid. But we have to come back to this. And he says, I have given you my peace. Trust in me. Walk with me. Stay close to me. And no harm will come your way. And we say this in an eternal sense. Remember that God has your back for eternity so that no matter what happens to you here on earth, you will be with God forever. You will have his peace. And if God should call you home at a time that is different than what you would expect for your life or he would inflict certain things on you, 
whether it's through circumstance or, or through people, stay close to God. Know that no matter what you go through, he may send you to prison to elevate you to lead a country, which was the case of Joseph. Joseph ended up in prison unfairly. But God was working on Joseph while he was in prison. And then at the right time, at the right moment, God had a plan to elevate Joseph, bring him out of prison, and Pharaoh comes to Joseph and says, I put you in charge of all of Egypt. Only I shall stand before you. And anybody that you ask to do anything, they shall do it as if I was giving that command. We have no idea what God is going to do. God is doing a work in each one of us. As he says in Peter, expect that fiery trial. God is doing a work in you. And whether we realize it or not, through suffering, through trials, and through testing, God is making us more and more holy. We are becoming more and more like Christ. We're gaining a bigger understanding of who God is and just how mighty he is in our lives. And as we do that, we see who he is. In comes this peace. How many times has God come to your rescue in life? Do you think he's just going to stop now? No. Satan wants you to say he's not going to do it anymore. He has to keep rescuing you. Of course he does. He's God. I want him to continue to rescue me. I don't want anybody else to rescue me but God. Because I know when God rescue me, rescues me, it's done right. It's done in love and it's done in care, elevating me to a place of holiness. A bigger understanding. And through all this and through all our experiences, we're given the opportunity just as we experience things, to minister unto other people. Hey, I've been through this. I can help you. Or people come to us. Hey, I've heard you've been through this. I need your help. Okay, well, the first thing that I did was I prayed. And then God gave me the sermon. And as he gave me the sermon, I followed his instruction. And everything came out okay. It was difficult. Yeah, it was very tough. But... We're closer as a family to God. We're closer as people to God. And as I've stated before, we're more like Christ. So he gives us this peace. And we know that there's peace because God, through the work of the cross, as it says in Colossians, defeated death. Scripture says it this way. Where is your sting, O death? We have this peace knowing that we're going to heaven that we're not going to suffer in hell, that we're not going to be tormented forever, but that one day God will wipe every tear from our eyes. And I heard a beautiful sermon. It was wonderful. And it says, some people believe that there are no tears in heaven. That's not true. There are tears. We have saints up there weeping for the lost and for us as we go through life. But it says that God will wipe away every tear. That God will comfort us himself. Can you imagine having God come up to you and say, it's okay, Nemo? That's just beautiful. 
It's okay, Mima. It's okay. And then he hugs you. Just think about that. Think about the father that you've never had or the mother that you never had. Or think about the mom that you did have and how much she loved you and how she painted that picture of who God is. This is the kind of love that God has for us. He's going to wipe that tear because he doesn't want us to be troubled. He doesn't want us to go through life with this fear. Because when that fear sets in, there's no peace and there's no joy. And as long as there's no peace and no joy, Satan's sitting there having a little party because he's getting his way. We've allowed our minds to be distracted from God's truth. Lastly, and then I'll start to wrap up. In Colossians 3.15, it says, Let the peace of God rule your hearts. In 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through So we have this peace. Jesus says it this way in Matthew eleven twenty eight. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, it says, Come to me, all who labor and all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Right now, wherever you are, even if you are in Christ, Christ is saying, come to me. Whatever your burdens are, come to him. Whatever is resting on your heart, Come to him. He says he will take your burden and he will give you peace. If we're honest with each other, we all have a burden of some sort. We all have something that gives us trouble or brings us anxiety if, if the moment is right. God is saying, give me these burdens. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I will bring peace to your souls. So as Christians, I encourage us, time after time, stay in Christ. Know his peace. Trust in him. And use his economy of saints. Use his kingdom. If something is plaguing you and you're not sure what the way is and how to get out of it, share it. Come to your brothers. Come to your sisters. Come to Daniel. Come to myself. Let us help you as the church. Amen? Amen. Father Almighty, we thank you so much for being our Father, for allowing us to put our burdens and our worries on your shoulders that we can have your peace. So Lord, we thank you so much for this grace that you've given us, this second chance at a uh, relationship with you. And we know that this is of your doing, that you've allowed us to see you, to see your love, and to taste your goodness so that we can walk without worry, so that we can have our needs met by you and live a joyful life of peace. 
And so, Lord, we thank you for these incredible gifts that are found through you in Jesus Christ. 